Welcome, everyone. Welcome. My name's Deborah Lennis. I'm a very, 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 very proud Durable woman, a local elder. I'm also the cultural advisor at Inner West Council. These podcasts are about history and learning where you live, what you can do. And as I often say, Australia has, yes, a very black history, but there is no white history. What we have is a shared history. So, on behalf of the Gadigal and Wongal peoples of the Eora Nation, I'd like to say, Birrawagal, Naninya, Birrawagal, welcome, everyone, welcome. Sydney, capital of New South Wales. Sydney's story is full of unique things. Building a bridge in Sydney over the harbour too. Famous things. And overlooking the famous harbour, Sydney Opera House. Iconic things. One of Australia's most iconic landmarks, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Tall things. Sydney Tower. The instantly recognisable soaring symbol has changed names. Oh, I remember this. I know a place... Hang on a minute. Why does the harbour hog all the icons? This is Inner West Icons, the other side of Sydney. I'm Bernie Hobbs, long time, long time Inner Westie. Come with me to the Inner West, Gadigal Wongal country. In this episode, find out how street art started in the Inner West, doing it at night, jumping fences, where it is now. And they gave me a wall that was 10 by 10 metres and I was very nervous. How a world famous health campaign began here. I think I've saved more lives with a spray can than I'll ever save with a scalp. How the Inner West's most famous mural got made, illegally, in the middle of the night. The police turned up. I said, Sergeant, do I look like a graffiti artist? And how it still challenges us. A lot of people look down on graffiti, but all of this, its roots are based in that. Let's start this episode on street art with the original artists, the Aboriginal people of the Eora Nation. If you head out of the inner west and go north, 45 minutes away is Kuringai Chase National Park. It's got around 1,500 pieces of Aboriginal rock art, said to be the largest concentration of Indigenous art in Australia. The impact of colonisation and development on the inner west has meant that only a fraction of the Gadigal and Wongal people's art has survived. The late archaeologist John Clegg identified rock carvings of fish by Aboriginal people at Callan Park in Roselle, along with middens nearby. So this episode's about street art in the inner west. But what even is street art? Does it include graffiti? What about tags and legal murals? Who decides what is art and what isn't? And where it should be? So we're standing at the railway line here, just under the bridge where it goes under King Street. There's lots of tags, there's lots of throw-ups, which are just the outline. And then there's some graph going on there. Melinda Vasalo has written two books about street art in the inner west, and she's a street art tour guide. Now she's taking us on a tour. Our tour kicks off at Newtown train station because along the railway was where graffiti culture in Sydney started back in the early 80s. 
And look, that was the playground for many, many years. Railway lines were constantly hit and that's where they painted, doing it at night, jumping fences. It was kind of safe because no one else was going to go in there. They got very, very fast and very skilled very quickly. So from tagging on the train lines at Newtown Station, let's fast forward 40 years to today. But don't worry, we'll get back to the 80s. Lottie Smith is employed to paint on walls as a street artist. She realises that without graffiti, she wouldn't be doing what she's doing now. Street art is complex for me. It brings art into a public space, which I think is really great. I'm trying to build on my knowledge and like respect its roots in graffiti and that it's a divisive thing. I know that a lot of people look down on graffiti, for example, but you know, all of this, all the things, you know, its roots are based in that. Lottie's painting a mural alongside three other artists. They're opposite Cohen Park in Annandale. I actually grew up around the corner from this park. And so when I saw the photos and like learnt where we were doing it, it was very exciting for me and like nostalgic. So I wanted to do a bunch of soccer players because this is where I started practicing soccer with my high school friends. And so that's what the designs a reflection of, a very stylized version of that. <laughs> Here's artist Sharon Billinge. There's been a row of garages along the side of the park and some of them are great and some of them are really dilapidated. So as I'm a street artist, I thought, well, you know, maybe we could get some funding and we could brighten them up. Um, hello, my name is Beck or Rebecca Enya. I'm an illustrator and painter and designer. The brief was around people connecting in Cohen Park. Uh, so I wanted to paint someone playing tennis. She's going for a going for the ball with a tennis racket. I'm painting a woman walking her dog and just because I'm a dog lover as well and there's so many people that come along this way and walk their dogs along the park. My name's Kim Sue. I'm an illustrator and mural artist. So we're all using the same colour palette, greens and bluey teals and pinks just reflected of the park across the road. Yeah, and really bright and vibrant, I guess. It encourages people to come out onto the street and it just makes people feel proud about the area they're in as well. My experience of it is so overwhelmingly positive. Like when you're painting on a street, and I'm slow, I'm really, really slow. So I'm there for like three weeks in the same spot. And so you get the same people coming past and just say, what you're doing is amazing. It's brightening the neighborhood. I walk a different way now to work so I can come past it. And so, you know, coming from a gallery-based background, you don't get that, you know, as an artist, if you've got somebody coming past and saying to you, I live here and what you're doing is making an impact on me. That's a whole different ball game to me. That was like opening up a box of delights. So these old rundown garage doors facing the park are being transformed by artists, thanks to the local council. Since 2014, Inner West Council has been working with homeowners and artists to make these murals happen through a program they came up with called Perfect Match perfect match which sounds like a dating site but it's <laughs> anything but it's yeah teaming artists up with blank walls that are around so sort of partnering people up 
So I'm Zachary Bennett-Brook. I'm a contemporary Indigenous man born and raised on Darawa land of Torres Strait Islander ancestry. Zachary and Kim Siu, who you heard from earlier, are the artists who got matched with the River Canoe Club of New South Wales. The Canoe Club is in Marrickville on the water right there at Tempe train station. Being able to combine my contemporary style with Kim's beautiful style, she'd put some really lovely silhouettes of different fish, different canoes, and then we slide it all together in a really smooth, flowing way. They're just playing off our environment. It's great to have art in museums and inside, but that's only for a select few number of people to be able to see and enjoy. But when you have public art, art on the sides of buildings, it connects worlds. I'm an Indigenous artist, so it's connecting people to the Indigenous world in a very modern way through my art. It's connecting people to the art world who may not necessarily be into art traditionally. That's why I love painting on walls. (laughs) If you look at a perfect match mural, you'll usually find there's a story and even local history in the design and artwork. French artist Hugo Sonneau is painting a home that used to be a corner store in Lewisham. We find that on the other side of the building, an old advertising about the Rosella product. It was an old Australian brand of soup. I find between two windows, the biggest dimension. And I try to fit two Rosella birds on this area. And these two birds give me the size of all of the frieze and all of the element. This is a strawberries. And it, it's very decorative. And from a distance, it is perfect on the wall because it's very recognizable from 20 meters or 30 meters. And just under that, you've got some tulip. And they are very recognizable too because they've got a very strong shape. I'm doing mural for a very, very long time now, over 35 years. Here in Australia, it's very different because I work almost outside, which is uh, in Europe or in France. It was, we work maybe twice outside every year. Here it's 80% outside and 20% inside. And the people love mural here. It's very popular more, I think, than in Europe. It's true, we do love murals. And the Perfect Match program is a huge success with over 130 murals around the Inner West, even though they didn't give me one when I applied for it. Each year, Inner West Council get heaps more applications from people wanting their walls painted, including me, than Council has funding for. The idea is that by removing a blank canvas, there's one less wall to graffiti and tag. Here's Lottie Smith. What we're doing is mural art because it's paid, it's got council approval, that sort of thing. Street art has its roots in being subversive, you know, being illegal, and it's a voice for the people. Like, recognising the complexity that, like, graffiti and street art and mural art, and one can't exist without the other. So from graffiti and tagging in the 80s to legal paid murals now, a lot's happened with street art over those 40 years. Tour guide, Melinda Vasalo. I grew up around the Redfern area and then moved to Erskineville and then moved to Newtown. So it hasn't been too far from me. And a lot of the, the artwork there was saying something about what was happening you know, with us at the time. It was always a social issue. It was always about something. There was bugger up campaigns. There was all that anti-smoking stuff. Bugger up was probably the most cost-effective health promotion program ever done. If you want to know why Australia was the first developed country to get rid of tobacco advertising, 
you have to say we were the only country that had bugger up working for it. That's Dr Arthur Chesterfield-Evans, a member of Bugger Up and former New South Wales MP, in a documentary called Billboard Bandits by Catherine Millis. You can watch it on the Inner West Icons website. Come to where the flavour is. Come to Marlborough country. So when ads for smoking were banned on radio and TV in Australia in 1976, tobacco companies turned to billboards. And you couldn't watch the footy or drive down a main road without seeing a massive ad for Marlborough or Winnie Blues. Rick Bolzen, Jeff Coleman and the late Bill Snow had the Inner West as their base. Here's more from that documentary. It's Bill Snow talking about the first billboard he wrote on with a spray can. Well, the first one I did um, was right here in the middle of the city in a very well-known billboard area. And we'd stopped uh, right in the traffic lights there. There's a traffic all around the middle of the day and there's this huge Marlborough billboard right next to us. The fellow was with me, an Aboriginal fellow who was trying desperately to stop smoking. And I asked him, uh, look, there's a billboard, there's a spray can there. I just think I could paint something across there to be very effective. I said, what word? Just one word. He said, look, the word poison is the word. He said, that's how I feel. I feel terrible from that rotten poison. So I jumped out of the van and painted the word poison right across the billboard and uh, stepped back, and it looked terrific. There was come to poison country, and I just thought, that's it. I've started something right now. In 1979, Bugger Up was born. What we did was put the spray can at the end of a long extension pole. We used those telescopic ones that you use for paint rollers, and we connected the spray can to the end of that and had a string which operated the button on top of the can. So it was a bit difficult at first, but with a bit of practice it became quite easy. That was Bugger Up member Peter Vogel. Bugger Up always signed their work, and their slogans started popping up all around the country. Those slogans were clever, with dark humour. Marlborough country became poison country. Anyhow, have a windfield became, anyhow, throw another lung on the barbie. And Benson and Hedges got, when only the best will do you in. We combined a lot of elements that appealed to the, to the public imagination. We had the, the larrikin thing, the Ned Kelly approach. We used humour and we used the mass media. And it cost us nothing. To get that sort of campaign out there would have cost the government millions and millions of dollars. In 1994, tobacco advertising billboards were banned in Australia. Here's the story of a lovely lady who was I saw these large pieces of artwork going up back in the late 80s, 90s. One of my favourite pieces was Marsha Brady in the television one, and it was it had this like sculpture coming out of it with the gun and the exploded pieces. The mural that Melinda Vasalo's talking about was one of the first big murals in the inner west on the side of a house in Erskineville. It remained untagged and stayed up for over 10 years. It was called Marsha Gets a Gun by Newtown artist Tim Guider. There's a photo of it on the inner west icons website under episodes. The original title of the mural was The Subtle Violence of the Perfect TV Family. All you 
have to do is walk one street behind King Street or one street down the main street of the inner west and there's all this stuff happening on the walls. There's lots of tagging, there's lots of paste-ups, there's stickers. It started with those little stickers used to get my name is and people used to tag on them and then stick them on the wall and there became a time where you couldn't even buy them. A hello, my name is sticker anywhere in Sydney because they were just so, so popular. And I think from that, the stickering just evolved and people started putting their little artworks on stickers and um, drawing on them and sticking on walls. Um, then you've got the sculptures. Um, it, can, it can be anything really, but it is unsolicited and it is street art, yeah. There's lots and lots of different scarves that looks like tied together and hung all over the cyclone fence, which reminds me of a lot of yarn bombing and knitting that was done around here. Um, some people even said that their dogs would come back from Sydney Park and there'd be a little bit of a crocheted necklace around it. There was a time when there was a, a little cat that appeared all around New Newtown and it was called Min Cat because it had Min written on the tail. There was hundreds of them everywhere. It was one of the most prolific stencils I've seen in Newtown for a very long time. Someone wrote a book about it called The Stripey Cat, which I think is really, really cute. That someone is two people, Peter Warrington and Rachel Williams. Peter is the author and Rachel the photographer of The Stripey Street Cat. A cat who goes looking for a friend. The great thing about it, we think, is that it used a street art stencil that we literally just found just, you know, a cat walking down the street. It was always at the intersection of the, you know, the bottom of a wall and a pavement. It's very easy even for someone like me with no imagination to imagine that cat literally walking down that wall. She was coming out of tunnels, going under bridges, walking around corners, in gutters, on roller doors. So, you know, we, it made it very easy for, for us to meld a story around that. The beautiful thing about the stencil is it's actually a love story and the name Mim, it was his girlfriend at the time. So he was putting that around the streets for her. When it came out in 2011, The Stripey Street Cat was the top-selling kids' book in Newtown. They've published three more books for kids as well as cut 10 years of the stencil art prize. There are links on the Inner West Icons website. Here's Rachel Williams... As a photographer, I did spend a lot of time, you know, taking photos of the little details on walls and the layering of it. It has a lot of history and I just, yeah, I think it's really beautiful. I think also to find the beauty in the grit um, and we certainly do find beauty in that. The Perfect Match program is amazing, but I do think it's very organised, pretty murals, which has put this area on the map and the artists are incredible and to watch that come to life is incredible but I love the the chaos of walls that where people are just coming in you know the middle of the night or whenever sometimes artists that might do something and there'll be a response to that from another artist and I think that's a lovely conversation on the street. One of my favourite bits of graffiti in the inner west is by Flora. I'm not sure who she is or who they are, but they most often do ants, big green ants. It's hard to walk along a block in Marrickville without coming across one of these guys. I love them. I think everybody's journey with Flora is a bit different. Bonnie Huang is a student and artist who's been looking out for Flora ants since high school. 
So for me, it started off in high school, I think, because I went to school in Petersham and I would see these like ants around and I just saw that around and it was like seeing little friends everywhere around Petersham and I was like, oh, I've spotted another flora. Flora's ants interested Bonnie so much that five years after first seeing them, she wrote about them in the Sydney Uni newspaper, Honey Soir, with Maya Sealing and Tom Martin. It'll just be like a little stick figure ant. Other times there's like a massive big one across the whole wall and it's got all the legs coming out. The ant was really interesting in terms of like visually how it combines the PowerPoint plug with the like natural form. Yeah, you've always got that PowerPoint face where um, the two eyes are like the, the diagonal top of the PowerPoint and then the mouth is like the bottom. So those sort of recognisable motifs, you can always say, oh, that's flora, but then the ant can be drawn in like a lot of different ways. So it's using graffiti as a way of rebelling against urbanism and, and like a return to nature, yeah. Traditional graffiti or like murals, they kind of like have a stronger like airbrush effect and everything is like tight. Flora's style is more relaxed and carefree and like it just, they just did it. Yeah. And yeah, that kind of ties into, there's like a larger movement in graffiti in general that rebellion against those conventions um, where everything is very rough and not technically good, but it still looks appealing. The artist behind Flora is, I think like a trained mural painter or like, um, it's like a, it's an artistic decision rather than like a lack of skill or anything like that, yeah. There's one piece of street art that the Inner West is most known for. It's an icon. It's on travel sites, in movies. Coldplay even shot a music video there. Like all murals of the time, it was painted illegally. The taking of walls in the middle of the night to do creative things held no fears for me. It's I Have a Dream. I've never been a graffiti artist. I've always, however, been an artist. It was 1991 when Julie Pryor met her future collaborator, Andrew Aitken. Where else but on the street? I happened to be outside painting something and I looked up to my right about 15 metres away there was this scruffy, deadbeat-looking guy painting on a fence at the back of the church. And I thought, who's that? And he looked at me at the same time and went, who's that? You've got a paintbrush. Look, I've got a paintbrush. What are you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And without too much further ado, before you know it, we were both showing off <laughs> of our stuff we'd done on the streets. Now... He was Canadian, very interesting character, bit of a loudmouth, wildly exuberant, bit of a pain in the arse, but fabulous. Andrew and Julie hatched a plan for painting a mural together. It was going to be very big and very visible. It was a very simple design because we knew we wouldn't have a lot of time to finesse anything. So it was very, very simple design. There's a, a face, a circle, which was the globe, and a little bit of text. And Andrew was the sign writer, so he could do that. It was easy. 
The face was Martin Luther King, with planet Earth floating in space, and underneath the words, I have a dream. Andrew had gone to the shop owner and said, can we paint a mural? And then the guy said, no, go away, we're going to put billboards up. And I'd gone to the council and they said, no, no, absolutely not. Anyway, we thought, OK, it's a couple of no's, what should we do? I know. Let's do it anyway, because why not? <laughs> you know. So that's what we did. Three storeys, blah, 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 how much paint, rough calculations, we're going to need this, that and the other. Reminded me that I had a key to the paint store at the playgroup. <laughs> and there was tubs of black paint in there which were not being used. Now, I would hate to think that that paint was going to be wasted or go mouldy and have to get thrown out when there was a real need in the community for rather a lot of black paint. Um, so, <laughs> took care of that problem for the council. When we decided we were going to take the wall, we realised that we had to hide our true intentions until we'd got it done. And the best way sometimes to hide is to do it in a crowd. We decided to begin uh, at 7 o'clock on the Friday night when there was a lot of people around. So we just dressed in overalls, had some hazmat jackets, were bringing ladders and buckets of paint to the site. And that, that concealed us quite well. Just started, and the police turned up. And I said to Andrew, "Don't open your mouth, or I will plunge a dagger into your back." Now, at this point, I was a 35-year-old single mother of three children under the age of six, and uh, I said to him, "Sergeant, do I look like a graffiti artist?" I didn't say I wasn't. He thought it was so funny that a woman, well-spoken, polite, hairbrushed, could be a feral painter on the streets at night. And as soon as he laughed at me, at my face, while I kept smiling, I knew I'd won. I knew we'd do it. But of course, we realised quite soon into the first night that we were going to have trouble getting right up to the top because three stories is three stories and uh, you know even with a triple extension ladder that's so he rang Tony Spanos the wonderful the marvellous Tony Spanos now if there's awards to be given for eccentric person of the universe a la Newtown Tony Spanos front runner any day of the week and he turned up on the second night with a cherry picker <laughs> which was hilarious I put my hazmat jacket out and I just stood in the middle of the road to stop the traffic. So he could back the cherry picker into that little park. I think Australians will do anything if directed by somebody in a hazmat jacket. That was fun. <laughs> we got the cherry picker in there, we finished the mural. It was a mad, crazy, wild, wonderful thing. Uh, you know, it took us all that night. We got to about 4.30 or whatever. Andrew meandered off back to the church, which is just up the road, got his saxophone and his little brush case, came back, opened it up. He had the bottle of champagne and a couple of glasses. We all had a glass of champagne. And the sun came up and 
it just hit that mural and it was the first time the sun had kissed the face of the mountain. And it was extraordinary and it was powerful and it was true. And we toasted that sunlight. And there was nobody around, nobody at all. We, we just sort of had this glass of champagne and then we just wandered off. That was it. There was no applause, no fanfare. We said, this is for Newtown. This is a surprise for Newtown. Gosh, won't they be impressed? <laughs> I'm laughing now. God, we're so naive. But in fact, people accepted the gift. Art invites us to dream, to see our streets with different eyes. That mural is a self-cleaning mural. I've never repaired it. <laughs> I love that. It exerts so much power and is so beloved that other people do it because, you know, sometimes people ring up and say, can, can I film my video clip for my band in front of you? And I said, honey, it's not my mural. You know who owns that mural? You own that mural. Over the last 30 years, the community has totally taken ownership, and the council too. Marrickville Council Heritage listed I Have a Dream in 2014. Since it was first painted, an Aboriginal flag was added to the bottom of the mural. And Archibald Prize-winning First Nations artist Black Douglas painted We Have the Dreaming mural on the wall next to I Have a Dream. So what does street art mean to the inner west? to our neighbourhoods and communities. For me, it kept me sane in lockdown, walking the streets and finding new art to take photos of and share with my mates, tracking those ants all over the place, and the sheer relief in having the River Canoe Club in Marrickville transformed from two storeys of fugly Besser block into something beautiful to walk past. On the next episode of Inner West Icons, Callan Park, Roselle. Callan Park is a site of horror and a site of healing. It's a site of good stories and bad stories. Inner West Icons is hosted by me, Bernie Hobbs. It's researched, written and produced by Jane Curtis. Sound engineering by John Jacobs. Artwork by Dylan Tonkin. Editorial Brains Trust was Kate Lawrence. You can find Inner West Icons on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. This podcast is made with support from Inner West Council's Community History and Heritage Program.